Tonight, I'm chatting about growing up with dead bodies in your living room, making a festival-worthy feature documentary while you're still in school, Chucky being your very best friend until the end, and it's all with Kira Elise Gardner, but you might know her as Kira Mira on TikTok. The episode's full of laughs and full of horror, so turn off the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall into Haunting Season's Horror Talk. Good evening, world, and welcome back to Horror Talk, a show where I talk to TikTok mutuals about their love of horror, paranormal experiences, and who they are as a human being. My interview with Kira is coming up in a few minutes, but first, a few updates about my life and what I've been watching and where I've been. This month took me to Boise, Idaho. I'm actually recording from my hotel room right now, which is why the audio might sound a bit different from the rest of the episode. And it's a little bit different here than Africa. That was the last trip I was on. This is a work trip, and I had so much writing and editing to do this week that I'm probably not going to see more than the inside of my hotel room and the filming location tomorrow. But I have been watching, surprise, surprise, quite a bit of horror movies and have gotten some cool experiences as well. To start, I mentioned briefly last episode that I saw Barbarian, Smile, and Pearl, and I was really surprised by each of them. Pearl was absolutely unhinged in the most amazing way. Here's how I described it on TikTok. Pearl is a rural horror extravaganza. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Pearl is about a young farm girl lost in a motion picture fantasy just wanting to escape the farm. Well, one day she has an adventure with a scarecrow, and that's where the similarities to Dorothy end, and she becomes a lot more like the Wicked Witch. Pearl is living at home with her controlling German mother and paraplegic father waiting for her husband to come home from the war. The Spanish influenza has everybody wearing masks, but just like me, she can't help but go to the movies. You see, Pearl wants to be a dancer in the pictures, and she's going to do just about anything, and I mean anything, to get there. She's going to be a star, baby. While styled like a 1940s motion picture with the titles, filming style, and structure, it merges seamlessly into a destructive nightmare of rural horror that will leave your jaw on the floor as you slow clap your way through some grueling credits. Rural horror. Rural horror. That's a tough one. Pearl is a rural horror extravaganza, unlike anything I've ever seen. What a wild ride. It, it reminded me of Misery and how Kathy Bates' character evolves throughout the movie, but then it went so much further. Pearl fits right in with the A24 catalog with artfully done carnage, slick editing and music choices, and the way it's shot. It feels equally modern and also like it could have been filmed at the same time as Gone with the Wind. I can't wait to see what Maxine brings to the table as Ty West closes out his trilogy. Barbarian was everything everyone said it would be. Completely unpredictable, expertly made, top to bottom, but I, I'm still struggling to write a review about it at the time of recording this. My wife Cookie was shocked when we left the theater and I said I didn't know how I felt about it. She was sure I was going to absolutely love it. And, and I did. I'm not arguing that it isn't brilliantly original or any of the things everyone else is saying. But something about it just had me wondering pretty constantly the past few days why I'm not just absolutely blown away. 
Barbarian is about a woman who shows up to her Airbnb to find someone else is there. After quite a bit of safety protocol, she decides to share the B&B with the guy that's already there, and what you assume would happen next is absolutely not what happens. I won't do spoilers here, but I'm dying to get to talk about it in a space where everyone's seen it already, so I can drill down on what exactly is keeping me from giving this a 10 out of 10 in my book. Well, actually, I'll get that chance on the Caught on Mike podcast. I'll be on there talking in depth with spoilers about Barbarian and a bunch of other stuff. I'm excited about that. In fact, by the time this comes out, that episode should be live already. Caught on the Mike. Mike spelled like the name M-I-K-E. Smile was maybe the biggest surprise of the year for me. I really thought this was going to be garbage. It's a gimmick movie attempting to make smiling scary. We've seen it before, like in The Ring, where they make a phone ringing and TV static scary. Well, one could argue Poltergeist beat them to the chase for the latter. But then, you know, It Follows makes sex scary, and now we're on to smiles. And there's no reason at all it should work as well as it does. But let me tell you, this movie was pretty kick-ass. Here's how I described it on TikTok. Smile was not the garbage horror movie I thought it was going to be. We all know when we see a gimmick, there's a 50-50 chance the movie is going to tank. And the more they advertise it, the more that percentage skews towards the negative. I went into Smile with low expectations and ended up having a great experience. The story is simple. It's like It Follows meets The Ring. There's a sort of possession that gets passed from person to person, and the only way you know you have it is because you start to see the smile everywhere. It sounds simple, but they actually do a really great job of evolving the possession throughout the film. This is a jump scare movie through and through, with people leaping out of their seats and screaming at the top of their lungs. The scares are really well done, while of course being on the campy side. I mean, what jump scare movie isn't? But it's balanced really well with the story and the deeper disturbing plot points. It's a formula movie. The plot isn't going to blow your mind. But if you go in looking for a fun time, you're sure to find it. I will say that Smile could very well be triggering for some due to the amount of self-harm depicted in it. So that's a watch out. All said, this is a great example of a movie not giving too much away in the trailer with a really inventive final act that had me leaving the theater satisfied. The key to loving this film, I think, is accepting that it's a particular kind of horror film. You can't put this up against Jordan Peele's films because it's not trying to be a wildly original film. It's a subgenre jump scare curse movie, following the style of endless classics in this vein. And so if you go in knowing what you signed up for, it becomes very surprisingly good. Compare this to The Countdown, the movie where the iPhone app predicts your death and Smile wins by a landslide. I think what I love so much about Smile, and I can't even believe I'm talking about it this much, is that it gave me more of something that I love and in a way that felt fresh and exciting. Like going to see Pearl was an experience that felt more in line with appreciating expert filmmaking, storytelling and performance. You are transported to another place in time, fully emerged in a whole world. But with Smile, you're going on a haunted roller coaster. You should expect things to pop out of nowhere. But then surprisingly, what you end up getting is a deeper storyline that elevates it past your average straight to streaming no name thriller. Last thing before we get on to the interview, I got a paid sponsorship with Showtime this October. This doesn't happen super often, but it has a few times this year where I got paid to review something or make a promotional video. I was in a reaction video for the sadness on Shudder, and the opportunities are super cool because they help pay for a lot of what I do. It's by no stretch of the imagination enough to make a living on. No, I work 50 to 60 hours a week at my job and then probably put in another 15 to 20 on haunting season just to make it all happen. And I have a lot of help. 
But these paid gigs help me to like hire an editor when times are book solid or to upgrade equipment or to just crack away at my credit card debt I've gained over the years trying to make my way as a filmmaker. I guess the point I'm trying to make is this. I don't have a Patreon at the moment. I've never done a Kickstarter. I've never asked people to pay for anything Haunting Season has ever produced. So when these paid opportunities come around, I get super excited and I want them to happen like all the time because they never ask me to change my opinion or say something I would never say. And a lot of times they don't even ask me to do anything different than I already am. It's like someone walking up and saying, hey man, be you, do what you do. And also here's a stack of cash to make it happen on our timeline. And I'm outstandingly grateful for that. But then, because it's an ad, because it's a sponsored video, and I have to disclose it in my hashtags and in my words that it's a sponsored video, people don't watch it. And even though I put my heart and soul and quite a bit of extra elbow grease into making this video amazing, it just tanks. And look, I'm guilty of this too. Anytime I see something that's an ad, I swipe away as fast as I can. I'm changing that today. I'm legitimately changing my behavior, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to do it too. Hear me out. If instead of thinking, ew, gross, an ad, and swiping it away, we all collectively decide to think, oh, look, a creator I like is in an ad. Let me watch the whole thing, like, and comment. Then here's what happens next. That creator has a better chance instantly at being paid to do it again, and you continue to get free content from them. So essentially by watching and positively interacting with the ad, you are financially supporting your favorite creators without having to spend your own money. My sponsored post for Showtime did 2,000 views. A random video I made about my friend's YouTube channel did 6 million. A random video that I make about a movie gets between 50 and 100,000 views. So companies come to me to try and get that kind of exposure and it's so heartbreaking to then have that video tank. It's embarrassing. And I'm a part of the problem. So anyway, I wanted to run that by you to see how you feel about making a small change and how you interact with ads on TikTok. And now that I got that out of my system, kick back for an awesome interview filled with laughs and fascinating childhood experiences growing up in a house of horrors with Kira Mira. So this is Kira, Kira Gardner, Kira Elise Gardner, whatever, you know, whatever the day provides. Otherwise known as Kira Mira on TikTok and the creator of the upcoming highly anticipated Living with Chucky documentary. And we're just going to just going to chat. We're just going to chit chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So for those who don't know you, tell me about yourself and what you do and oh, how goodness. you do it and all that stuff. Oh, goodness. Um, I don't even know what to describe myself as. <laughs> <laughs> I am a film director. I'm currently in the documentary genre of filmmaking but definitely still in horror and my goal is to direct more narrative horror. I went to film school at Florida State University, graduated just in time for a pandemic to hit, um, which is super cool. I graduated in 2019. (laughs) I had like a year in LA and then everything got shut down and now it's coming back which is nice but still kind of getting my feet in everything but I also... I'm now like a feature film editor as well. Yeah. Um, not by choice, by monetary. Wait, so where uh, did you grow up? I grew up in Lake Arrowhead. 
Okay. Which is a few out, uh, yeah. hours outside LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like way up in the mountains. Yes. It's got that crazy drive <laughs> on, uh, what's, what do they call it? Like an end of the world Oh, Boulevard rim of the world of the is world? where I went to high school. Yeah, because it's like oh the high gosh. school, the highway, and then just a cliff right off the mountain. Yeah, and yeah. it's like for anyone who hasn't been up there, it's way higher than you think. It's like above <laughs> the clouds, like above everything. It's terrifying to drive on, but also thrilling. It's, uh, it was, I'm, I'm actually glad my parents moved away out of LA to grow up in that environment rather than be down here because it can be kind of toxic in LA. Yeah, yeah. But my brother was, they originally lived down here because obviously my dad works down here. And my brother, who's older than me, was allergic to smog as a toddler. Oh. <laughs> so I mean, we all are, right? But I mean, right. that's got to be so tough to yeah. actually have an allergic reaction. So they were like, we'll move to either the ocean, where it's the ocean breeze, or above it. Or and, the sky. <laughs> yeah, or just go above it all. And so they moved to the mountains before I was born. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like growing up out there? <laughs> You know, like, I mean, yeah. I, that's such a dumb question because everybody's always like, I don't know, because I didn't grow up anywhere else also. So what do I compare it to? But I mean, like, right. I grew up playing in the woods out in Pennsylvania, and Ooh. that was like very different from a lot of people who grew up in the city. So like, what was childhood adventuring like out there? <laughs> Pretty much the same as you playing in the woods and things. I actually, the part where we live is called Twin Peaks. And coincidentally, my favorite TV show now is Twin Peaks. So I love that. But that's kind of the same vibe as the show. Nobody got murdered or anything. Yeah. But <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um, like it's very just everybody knows everybody. So small town. But it was interesting because not a lot of kids, I think, really. I don't know if it was they weren't encouraged by their parents. And I'm just very privileged to have parents who are in the arts. But it didn't seem like a lot of kids were in the art realm. It was more of like drawing and painting but there weren't as many kids in film. We had an AV class in my high school, but like out of all the people who took that class, <laughs> I could only name like three other kids that I went to high school with all four years that went in, ended up going into film. Mm -hmm. But it's a very small town. Like when I was growing up, there was maybe one traffic light. Now we have like four, I think. Um, <laughs> but it was like all stop signs, no street lights. The thing to do in high school was like go off-roading in a Jeep. And if you didn't fall out of the car, it was a great night, you know? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so when did you start like documenting things? Honestly, until film school when I had a documentary semester. Wait, so then what, what made you go to film school? School in general? Oh, yeah, gosh, like this is like a long process um, <laughs> of how we got there. Um, it's kind of a long story. But as a kid who has ADHD, my interest would shift like every six months. So God bless my parents who... <laughs> <laughs> were supportive of everything that I was seemed to be interested in because it would change like so often. When I was younger, I really love animals and growing up in the wilderness and everything like that. I volunteered at a wildlife rehabilitation center called Wild Haven. So if you ever go to Lake Arrowhead, whoever's listening, go check them out because they're a small run family business. And I just wanted to be a vet, maybe, and take care of animals. And then I discovered I'm allergic to almost every single animal. Oh, no. <laughs> That's tragic. Um, yeah, it was not exciting. Also, just the fact of, like, sticking a needle in a 
poor little like animal while they're I just can't I can't deal with it <laughs> I just can't <laughs> my um, dog one time had to get penicillin and mm-hmm. he screamed like a child that had no. been punched it was my wife and I instantly started crying yeah. and we were just like in this bodega which sounds weird but like we, <laughs> it was the guy who owned the pet shop next door and he was like hey let me grab the penicillin the most heartbreaking thing to oh, hear an God. animal in pain yeah no so why would I why would you too why, Kudos to veterinarians. Yeah, we I need them. Do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I kept volunteering there, though, and then I was like, maybe I want to be a photojournalist because I liked photography, and I did this like summer trip with National Geographic to like learn photography. My parents were so supportive. It's insane. I'm so lucky. But those photos, I was probably like 13 at the time, are the best photos I've ever taken in my yeah. entire life. <laughs> um, but I just like we would review our photos every week. And it was just as people seem to have like the eye for photography. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Like you can learn as much as you want, but. I feel like some people are just naturally gifted at it. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's an art form. There's good photos and then there's incredible photos. Yes. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't think this is my thing. And so it's cool because it'll come back. That that point will come back later. And so I was like, maybe not that. And then and I was like, journalist. And then I was like, no. And we discovered later I'm dyslexic. So I'm glad I didn't <laughs> go down that avenue because reading is hard. Mm-hmm. Um And then I was really good in science. So I was like, I think I want to be a nurse because I want to help people and things. And I couldn't do the animal route. And then I volunteered at a hospital for the summer, um, my local hospital. And you can only be told you look like somebody's dead wife like so many times in a week (laughs) before you lose your mind. Really? (laughs) Because I've never been told that personally. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I just, I think it's like, I think just like two of, I wanted to work in the older people unit because I love old people. Yeah. And I just love listening to everybody's stories. And I think just like two guys had redheaded wives and uh-huh. I was like and they showed me a picture of their wife and I'm like I look nothing like this woman <laughs> just because we have red hair yeah, yeah. and it was just not stimulating enough for me and so then I was like because I grew up with a special effects makeup artist as a dad and was very desensitized to blood and guts and horror I was like I'm gonna be a combat nurse and go into the army <laughs> wait <laughs> I don't know if those necessarily <laughs> they don't <laughs> they don't but 15 year old me was very convinced I could be in the military <laughs> dad you do fake stuff for money I'm gonna go do the real stuff for less money <laughs> yes and yeah. probably die and get shot at oh my yeah gosh. yeah my mom was immediately like no you are not you can't do that and I was like mom it's a thing in war that you can't shoot at nurses and she's like <laughs> She's like, I don't think everybody <laughs> abides by that rule. Yeah, you also shouldn't shoot people coming down in parachutes, but it happens. It happens. Yeah, I was just like, I'm so used to blood, <laughs> but that's not the real thing here. So maybe don't do that. And then my parents encouraged me to take a, a film course because they were like, you've always been so creative. And uh, like anytime there was an opportunity to do film instead of like an essay mm-hmm. for school projects, I always opted for video. Um, And so I took a summer class at USC, and that's what ended up making me want to apply to film school. That was the first time I had directed a short, because my whole experience up until that point was like the makeup trailer. And I knew I'm like passionate about makeup, and I can do SFX as a hobby, but I see my dad and how passionate he is about it. And I was like, that just, I'm not that person. Yeah. Um, And so when I directed my first short, I was like, you can get paid to do this. 
this is amazing. I want to do this. And so I switched. I would literally had been looking at all nursing schools until like the last minute and oh, switched wow. to film school. Wait, so the big question, are you going to stick with it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like it? it? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm a fan. I definitely want to get back into like narrative filmmaking, but um, yeah. regardless, even though sometimes it makes me want to blow my brains out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, so your dad has come up a couple of times and I don't want to like talk too much about your dad because this is about you. But for people listening who might not know, Tony Gardner is known for makeup and effects uh, on film. I can't list them all. I mean, it's like literally it's <laughs> endless. But the, the Chucky films, right? Hocus Pocus, uh, The Craft, Lord of Illusions are some of the ones that really popped for me. Newer films like They Slash Them, Old and the upcoming Hocus Pocus 2, which my wife is like dying to see. It's uh, Hocus Pocuses are all time favorite so how much of this stuff came home after work (laughs) um (laughs) like i mean because you lived in like arrowhead so like how how much like made it into the house were there creatures you were growing up with i mean the title of your documentary suggests Uh, living with chucky yes uh the dolls did come home very very often yeah my dad came on to he didn't start on the original child's play i just have to like shout out to kevin yeager my dad is not him my dad started on seed of chucky um Mm -hmm. but i was four at the time so it's been my whole life time of growing up with it. And the dolls did come home quite often because part of Seed was figuring out what Glenn Glenda was going to look like. Mm-hmm. So my dad would take work home with him. And that meant taking Chucky and Tiffany home to figure out what their baby would look like. So <laughs> that was a constant in my childhood, as well as like having Chucky at all my birthday parties <laughs> was a thing. Because my, my, I'm an October baby. So my parties were always Halloween themed. Um, And every year we do crazy mazes for Halloween in like my cousin's yard in Long Beach. And so we tried to do a mini scale version sometimes at my birthday parties in Arrowhead. And Chucky would always be around a corner somewhere. Um, (laughs) Just just like, hey. Um, But as far as like other things, I remember, I don't know why. Sometimes there would just be things that my dad would have to take home to work on overnight or whatever it would be. There was, I definitely remember this like full fledged six foot man dead body with like the chest, like a chest cavity carved out of it. In the living room for some reason. I don't, I it's honestly. It's like not the garage or basement. No, it's, it's like, just like in the foyer. Those are heavy. They're heavy. So it's like, it was just like right in the door, you know? Yeah. I think that was for, uh, what was it? Ben Stiller was in that movie. Neighborhood Watch. Mm. This guy gets his, it gets an alien burst out of his chest. Um, so, which is not far from my dad's repertoire because he did the chest bursters for aliens Yeah, and other things. Uh, my childhood was more of like doing fun stuff with what my dad would bring home. So like cops getting called on us was not like, <laughs> not an old, like not unknown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, They're loading another body into the, yeah. Yeah. I remember we were doing this short film with our friends in high school and it was like a zombie thing and it had snowed recently. Mm-hmm. And so we dragged, I think it was that dead body out into the yard and it, we did like a trail of blood and then like our friend was like eating out of him. <laughs> and I kid you not, a helicopter came and spotlighted on our backyard because there was screaming and stuff and the neighbors like saw a dead body. And so so we had to be like, no, it's fine. It's fake. You can come see it. I never had anything like that, but I did growing up with my dad as a minister, we would play capture the flag in the graveyard. And one of my 
favorite memories is the police showing up and shining a light on my dad laying in a shallow grave with leaves pulled over himself and having to get out of it and explain. <laughs> like, it's just a game. It's, you wouldn't yeah, get it. Just play. Yeah, also, yeah, do you want to play with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No guns. <laughs> no guns. Um, <laughs> so at what point did you watch the Chucky movies? I It's crazy because I had like night terrors as a kid from seeing this, catching this one movie that my parents were watching that I wasn't allowed to watch. I didn't know until like COVID that it was the end of Bride of Chucky that gave me this oh. these nightmares for like three months at least when I was a little kid. And it was when my dad was doing research for what he was going to do for Seed because he didn't get any of the molds from Kevin or Universal. Mm. He had to make everything from scratch with Seed so he would watch the movie to get reference. And my mom and him were sitting down one evening to watch it and they were like, Kiro, you can't watch this. Go up to your room. So I was like, fine. And then I remember I came down and I like snuck on the backside of the living room and like poked my head out. And of course, it was like the scene where Tiffany's giving birth to... (laughs) Glenn <laughs> as she's like charred to a crisp and so I like always had I always had this memory of just like this demon baby in my dreams and this like burnt thing oh my god and because I didn't have anything referenced for scale so I just thought it was like a human charred to a crisp I don't know and so that demon baby which ended up being Glenn traumatized my nightmares for several months and then it wasn't until I was around eight that I actually saw like the full movie. Oh, only eight. <laughs> only eight. Um, and I picked the best one to watch because my dad dies in it. Uh. No one explained to me that my dad was in the movie. So, yeah, my I was not allowed to watch them. And then it was a friend's birthday party and I snuck the DVD to the friend's birthday party. Uh. And I was like, I have this cool horror movie, not realizing it's total comedy as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to eight-year-olds, we were like, this is insane. And yeah, and then my dad shows up and I'm like, what? What is what is this? And then everybody's head like turns to me and they're like, is that your dad? I'm like, I think so. How did he like get in the television? And then next thing I know, his head's just absolutely getting decapitated and I lost my shit and I had to call my dad and I had to get picked up to go home because I can was convinced he died. I could go down this rabbit hole forever, but I think we're at a good point to give the elevator pitch of your documentary <laughs> <laughs> now that we have some context. Some context <laughs> yeah. to the crazy. Yeah, so I did, in my film school, we had a documentary semester, and I originally just intended to make it on my dad, because my childhood, as I grew up and moved away from Lake Arrowhead, I realized that my childhood was not normal, Mm -hmm. because in a small town, everybody just, like, knows that that's that family, and this is that family. It's not a whole big deal, but as I went to Tallahassee, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy, (laughs) so I figured I'd make it on my dad, and having a special effects artist as a parent, but then the focus ended up being Chucky because it was a specific facet of his career that's been with me throughout my entire life so far. So that's when I started making that documentary and it was a seven minute version because my film school had a time limit. Mm -hmm. Then when I was done, uh, everybody had such wonderful critiques on it. And I think the biggest one was like, why is this only seven minutes? Did the seven minute version involve any celebrity interviews or anything? No. What was it? It was basically just Fiona and Brad, David Kirshner, the producer, and Don Mancini, the writer director. Oh, I mean, those are celebrities. But, I mean, yeah. like, you had like guest celebrities because, like, you know, Marlon Wayans is in the new one and Lynn Shay. Yeah, yeah. Which- so. Wow. Which but, is fun. But I mean, still, like, to have Don Mancini in your senior thesis or, or film I school. I was 19. F- it was, like, my you're first 19 film. Years old? Oh, my God. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, that's everybody huge. was so nice. And it was so cool because that was actually my first time meeting Don, despite, you know, well, actually, it wasn't my first time meeting him because I puppeteered on the Curse of Chucky reshoots in L.A., but it was, you know, Don was directing. It wasn't like, let's sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. Um, so it was my first time really getting to talk to Don and meet him as a human being. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I was like, wow, I have eight hours of footage already just from like four interviews. This is crazy. I should probably turn this into a feature film. And then it just so happened that Alex Vincent lives in Florida. I just like went down on a weekend, drove four hours down for a two hour interview and four hours back on like my weekend because I was still finishing college. Yeah. And then there was a hurricane in Tallahassee. And so I went back to LA for a week and it was when Cult of Chucky was coming out and they were doing a red carpet event at Universal Horror Nights and like Jennifer Tilly was in her Dolce & Gabbana dress. And I was like, could I interview you? And she was like, sure. So I did like an interview all by myself. I only had 40 minutes before she went onto the red carpet and it was just me. And I was like 19 and I was like <laughs> trying to figure it all out. What did out. you shoot it on? Um, my cousin's camera at the time. Yeah. Couldn't tell you what it was. Just like whatever you could grab. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it was like, not to put anything on anybody, but it was just like free because she already had makeup team and all this jazz. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. a whole event we had to go do later. It was just like, oh, I can seize this opportunity, which you do as a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And so I was like, let me do it. Not realizing that it would be so stressful with like 10 people from Universal just like in the room like this. <laughs> like watching and I'm just like hee hee Jennifer you kissed my dad's decapitated head what was that like <laughs> it's just like so overwhelming and then I got everybody else from the franchise when I came back after film school you know Billy Boyd lives in LA Christina Elise and then I just kept it going and got guest celebrities like Lynn Shea, Marlon Wayans, Abigail Breslin, who are kind of in the horror genre, so to speak. I know Marlon's more of like parody, but still relevant. Sure. And yeah. um, kind of just used what connections I had to make it a f more fledged out film. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. Um, <laughs> was was the short version of it before or after you made Phoebe? Before. Before. Yeah. So then how's Phoebe fit in? Because it's super interesting. Um, <laughs> it's like a animatronic fish person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, which like makes sense considering, you know, what you grew up around. But it seems really ambitious. Like really, really ambitious. Yeah. I, considering you're shooting interviews on like whatever camera you can grab. and like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was literally like going back and forth between trying to do the feature version of this film while making Phoebe and call it and trying to graduate. I still had classes. I have a tendency to just like shoot myself in the foot before I start any project because I'm just like, let me do this crazy thing that's mm -hmm. way too ambitious. And so <laughs> I just like I go throughout the whole thing with one foot, basically. <laughs> I knew that I wanted to I want to direct special, heavy, like, practical effects films in the narrative sense, like a Guillermo del Toro type of just absolutely use, using practicals with VFX to enhance it. I don't like that things are so much CGI these days. And so I knew when you go into film school that your thesis is kind of your calling card for mm -hmm. when you graduate and get into the industry and so I was like maybe I can do something that can showcase I know what I'm doing to a certain extent and also try it I had never 
directed something like that and especially puppets and I love like Jim Henson and I had just gone to the um, Museum of Puppetry in Atlanta prior to starting thesis and I was like let me just try because if I fail it's in the safety net of film school yeah Um, nobody's money besides my own is writing on this it's only seven minutes if it sucks then it sucks and I don't have to tell anybody about it Um, (laughs) you know just like bury it down be like yeah the last film I did was like two years ago it's crazy yeah and also it was I was trying to set myself up for if I were ever to you know shadow Don Mancini on Chucky because I knew it was going to TV at the time mm-hmm. or anything set myself for showing that I could direct something like that obviously it, that would not be a job that just handed out I would sure. have to like shadow and, and assist and all that jazz so her animatronics are pretty similar to Chucky's with how her eyes and her facial movement is and then Chucky used to be a lot more animatronic than he is now they've vamped it up for the TV show, but for Curse and Colt, like their budget was so drastically shattered Mm. that, you know, he has like green screen rods out of his elbows and his head because it's not this whole like animatronic thing that they have a budget for. Right, right. Um, So I essentially did the same thing with Phoebe and lied about how much VFX I knew to my teachers. (laughs) And they're like, this is going to be a lot of rotoscoping. Like, do you think you could handle it? And I was like, yes, I know everything. And I did not. And I just learned it on the... And they made me do it in another program because I knew how to do it in After Effects, but the thing was my teachers made me do it in Nuke, which is another program. Mm. Oh, my God. Anyways, um, like (laughs) 38 VFX shots later. So I was just like, let me see if I can do this thing. And it was... I kind of wanted to dip my toes into comedy as well because I think I'd also love to explore horror comedy. Yeah. And I had tried doing a horror comedy prior to my thesis film, And I liked it, but I was like, let me see if I can just do one and not like try to do two things at once in such a small amount of running time. And yeah, so Phoebe's just like my brainchild of trying new things. Yeah. And it was really fun because my dad got to come and puppeteer her. I would have, you know, had somebody else do it, but it's just so specific. So what am I, like, why would I not? you have so many things working against you when you're making a school project. Like, why not take one of the main hurdles Hurdles. out of it, of like working with a a fellow student who's maybe puppeted one thing in their life. Exactly. And rather than being like, you know, it'd be stupid to to have this insane puppet and then be like, all right, let me try to get somebody else to do it. Even though like the perfect man for the job is literally my dad. Like it just... yeah. It would have been crazy. But yeah, and a lot of my film teachers were like, this is insane. I don't know what you mean by a fish puppet. Like, what are you talking about? Is she like, does she like in story notes? They were like, does she have hair? I'm like, I think we should focus on the dialogue. Yeah. I think I think it's a really good thing when you're when your teachers are afraid because I my senior thesis. Well, actually, it wasn't a senior thesis. I thought of it as my senior thesis. (laughs) I went to school for musical theater. Oh, very Um, cool. I discovered filmmaking after. Afterwards, like as a career, but I had realized that I'd been doing it since like middle school. I taught myself Final Cut Pro when I was like 13. Oh my God. Um, and had been like shooting and documenting stuff like behind the scenes of like shows that I was in and like making these little documentaries and we'd watch them on like opening night. But I didn't discover until much later that it could be a career. So my, <laughs> my senior thesis was I wrote a two act, two hour play about an organization run by Charles Manson in the basement of the prison where he takes serial killers 
tortures them, brainwashes them, and rehabilitates them into life as like doctors and lawyers, and like what? we're following like the the guy who's going to become the next president. Oh my god! And we had real guns with blanks in them that we fired off in this like little barn that we were like doing the show in, and we built the basement out of well, it looked like cinder blocks, but it was like you know fake, right? And then we had a cast iron bathtub that someone was like getting you know waterboarded in and like oh staple guns to the head and everything and my teachers were like this is like, like well it sounds kind of dangerous and i'm like oh no you know we can figure out all the effects and everything like it's going to be super safe and it was it was not super safe <laughs> But it was a totally different time because right. I was walking across campus with a bag of realistic looking prop guns. Oh, Jesus. Like every day. And I walked into the public safety office and like opened up the bag and I was like, I'm going to be torturing people in the barn for a play. So if you hear screaming, chains, oh my God. Um, guns going off, that's it's what's happening. Fake. And they were like, sure, okay. You could have been an actual <laughs> psycho just like killing people. Yeah, and been. they would have been like, oh, it's I fake. I could have been. And I probably would have been pretty famous, I guess. Yeah, but. you would have gotten away with it, I feel. Yeah, well, maybe. maybe. Or I would have gotten caught and just yeah. like had uh, like crazy women buy t-shirts of me, you know, later it's crazy. on in life. I have a Ted Bundy t-shirt. Uh, I thought you were going to say tattoo. No, and oh my like God. A no, bit much, no but. and it's not of Ted Bundy's face. It's the shirts <laughs> that I made because I went to FSU and two of the people oh, that got right, murdered right, were at FSU. Yeah. It's the t-shirts that the FSU kids made when he was getting electrocuted of like, burn, Bundy, burn. Oh, cool. <laughs> I wanted those. Oh, neat. <laughs> but yeah, you could have gotten away with it. That's really cool though. Yeah, it, w- it was fun. We filmed it too, but I, I knew nothing about filmmaking at the time. So the final resolution of my two hour play is 480p oh, no. in a square. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't have any of the raw footage or anything. Oh. So it's just like a little cell phone sized memory for me. Maybe it just means you have to recreate it. I know, maybe and, someday. In a safer environment. Yeah, I, I think there would be a lot of <laughs> plot holes that I would need to fill in order to make that into a film. That's funny. Um, I have to ask before, because I, I want to talk about TikTok stuff too. Oh, no worries. Um, but one of my favorite movies of the year was Studio 666. And I saw that you have a credit. It's It says second unit director and then dot, dot, dot. And then you click on it and it says behind I know. I don't know why so, it's like I, a because first. it's awesome. <laughs> so what was that? But how? What? How? Did how, that come how about? Why? Why? Ah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Um. So I had already done my. I had just graduated and spent the summer. My first year out here, um, I I shadowed Catherine Hardwick, who directed Twilight and 13 for the summer. And then I was like, I need to actually do stuff. And I was working for my dad. I've done. It's crazy because people online are like, you just get stuff handed to you. And I totally understand where they're coming from. But I've um, a lot of this business is is nepotism, connections or and favoritism. People people roll out favoritism a lot because I'm like, a lot of people just get hired because they're somebody's friend or girlfriend. I like to think of it as like, you know, companies are spending millions upon millions millions of dollars and they need to be able to trust the people that they get. So you need to have some sort of in. You can't just like walk into Hollywood, you know, yeah. like James Dean and, you know, be driving around hoping somebody finds somebody you. like picks you up. Yeah. And that's the thing. Nobody's like handing directing jobs. It's always something, you know, else that might lead to it. And mm-hmm. I think people are like, you're going to get directing jobs handed to you. I'm like, no, I'm going to PA for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I've been shooting 
BTS photography and videography for my dad since I was like 15. Mm. So when I graduated film school, I came back and I was doing that for him. And I had already been documenting the process of Studio 666 because he was working on it because they had to start Rami's life cast like immediately because they had to make... You've seen it, so spoiler alert for spoiler, anybody. Spoiler. spoiler alert. They had to make Rami's full size body because he gets chainsawed <laughs> in half, and that's not, you know, a quick build. So, um, or a quick scene, to be honest. It no, it does not go by that quick. No, it's like, let's just drag it out. And I was shooting stuff for my dad, and then the producers, who are these lovely people, they noticed that I was doing a lot of the BTS, and they were like, and, and I had been talking to them about, I was still finishing my documentary because it's the most ongoing, longest fucking project of my entire life. But they knew I had documentary filmmaking experience. And because NBC Universal had bought the seven minute short, I was like published, so mm-hmm. to speak. So they were like, you know, we don't have a crazy high budget for BTS for this movie, but we definitely want to document it. Would you be up for filming the making of this movie? And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of already doing that anyhow. <laughs> so yeah. sure, if you trust this like 21-year-old with shooting all the making of, I'm happy to do it. So then I got brought on to it. And then at one point there was a discussion of me directing second unit, which is probably why it's on there mm. like that as IMDb, because they needed somebody to direct the Rami thing. Because it it ended up having to be on a day where they were doing two different things and we had to build a second like a stage for the bedroom and like recreate it because the blood just gets everywhere. Yeah. And so they were like, we need somebody who understands SFX and this. And they're like, Tony, direct it. And he's like, I can't do it and watch the monitor for performance. I think people always forget that. It's like yeah. if he's part of the gag then it's he can't watch the gag yeah. and make sure it goes. And he was like, but I know this person who, who does know how to do this. Um, and so... Then, but then through like a bunch of different things, second unit got cut. So darn, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's cool that like they even considered it. Yeah. And the director, BJ, he um, was a camera operator on Zombieland 2, double tap. Um, And so I had shadowed on Zombieland 2. So it's so crazy. I had like just seen BJ like two years prior. And then BJ was like, yeah, I trust you with second unit. It was just so interesting how the world works out. But yeah, so I followed the Foo Fighters from just I just know because it's in my camera. December 17th, 2019, all the way till this year, February 16th was Whoa. the last day of shooting that I've done for them. So wait, so on the, on the Blu-ray release, will it be like your footage? I wish um i know so maybe people can bug the studio about it because the foos produced it themselves independently yeah it was still union but it was like they funded it so it wasn't through a studio and then a studio ended up buying it for it to come out and so i did give my footage to open road but i have like heard nothing on them doing anything with it okay and i'm like I have two years worth of footage. This is going to be a whole documentary. And there's so many like amazing little moments where I got to be just like a fly on the wall. There's this whole like we did a makeup test with Dave and Dave and Taylor are just like Dave Taylor, my dad and I are just in a bathroom like shooting the shit and they're talking about the next album that was going to come out and how they wanted it to be different and like what Pearl Jam's album was at the time and like this and that and I'm like this is insane that I just get to be in this room for this conversation. Did you get to Pearl Jam high five Foo Fighters? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I I really hope they do do something with it. But obviously with, like, I didn't want to press them too much because obviously with the passing of Taylor, it's a a little touchy. I don't want to push anybody to make something. But at the same time, 
I'm so like I came in on days I wasn't getting paid. Like I just put my whole heart and soul into that because I just thought it was so unique. And they're such nice guys. And I'm so glad I did because I have so much footage of Taylor. Sometimes that footage comes back in the most interesting ways because you watch some of these documentaries about bands or icons that that we knew growing up and and you have no idea like that they have all this footage like i watched the anthony bourdain uh (gasps) documentary the roadrunner and it's like they have like every inch of his life covered with cameras and you're like well where what what how who's doing this yeah when you're doing this this. (laughs) it's people like me who are (laughs) getting paid (laughs) it's the hard-working americans so you have two four hundred and twenty thousand followers and (laughs) Uh, on TikTok, and most first-time feature filmmakers are struggling for like a few hundred or a few thousand people to like know about what they're doing. What does that yeah. feel like? Yeah, uh, I kind of, I don't even. I, sometimes it just like doesn't register. Yeah, and well, and talking about like <laughs> you're talking this whole time about like shooting yourself in the foot. Like, so now you're responsible for making all of this short form content. I don't know how often you post, but I see you on the for you page like oh. quite frequently. Um, <laughs> so, so you're doing that a lot, and then you're documenting the food fighters for a couple of years, and then you're you're creating this documentary for a couple of years, and then you've got this fish thing that you're doing, and like you know, like you've got all of this stuff going on. <laughs> How do you make room for content creation? I don't sleep. No, um, <laughs> no, it's crazy because then I listen to people like Dave Grohl who truly doesn't sleep. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm so lazy. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I think social media coming into it has made it a bit more complicated for me because it's like I want to cater to people who are following this thing. But I also have like a regular job. And now I totally understand when people who are social media like content creators for YouTube or TikTok and how that is their full time job. I completely get it now because it is like there's so much you have to pump out and you have to figure out what time you're going to post and all these things that I wasn't thinking of before. Yeah. Now I have to because I was never on like YouTube or Vine or anything. And I just recently, like these past few months, started meeting people from TikTok for the first time. And I've never done that before in my life. And it's just like, I I feel so lucky that I kind of stumbled into it over COVID because I had two surgeries. I tore my meniscus on the Foo Fighters movie. <laughs> um, so I had a knee surgery. I also got into a car accident. So I feel like it was both. So I had all this time on my hands and then I started TikTok and now I don't have all this time on my hands. <laughs> Do you so, feel like a strong obligation to post regularly? Yes and no. I feel like people who follow me at least know like I'm doing this crazy thing. But at the same time, like if I don't post for like a whole week straight, I'm like, ah, and you can see it because people will start to unfollow you because uh, you're not active. Mm. Although After I, a week? I don't know. That's like not so, not so much. It'll go down from like, you know... 0.9 to like 0.8 and it's like oh okay or it might just be bots filtering out like I don't sure, know sure yeah, yeah, yeah um although I did like come out as like queer on um TikTok and I lost 6,000 followers <sighs> I, you don't need those people <laughs> I know I'm like yeah I don't want you anyways if you're gonna be like that yeah um, did that do anything for your mental health like did that affect you in a negative way a little bit because I, I was just like I mean, I never like openly talked about being bisexual um, on any platform, really. Mm -hmm. So it's like nobody would. I didn't advertise that about myself. So some people just wouldn't know. But it's like, I don't know. We're at such a day and age of like, how how does what another person's choice for their own thing is and that's it's not even a choice affect you like yeah. how does that affect my content which affects you like it it's you know i'm not if i was somebody if you didn't agree with whatever all 
it's such a behemoth of a conversation. But like if I was just like specifically a person who talked about like gay news and LGBTQ stuff and then you wouldn't follow me in the first place. But it's like if you were following me for a while and then it's this thing that comes up and you're like, oh, I don't want to follow you. Now. It kind of it hurts. But yeah, no, it does. I, I started <laughs> painting my nails in January and I the amount of people who feel the need to comment on it that you have your nails. painted. Yeah. And oh that is God. that is literally just color on a fingernail yeah. of a person who's living with their hands half in their pockets, half touching a computer like it's it's not attacking you through the screen. No. It's not even an opinion, really. It's no. just some color. So that being such a small thing and people wanting to comment on it and then like taking someone's like actual like life, you know, like, I, uh, like how does I, my fingernail color affect your life? Please tell I, me. Just, <laughs> you know? How does any of this affect anybody's no. life? No. You know, and, and, like, it, like I would get it if they were like, I don't like gore and you post uh, like every once in a while this like gory effect. So I, I'm going to unfollow like that's, that makes that's sense. like, ooh, that's affecting you, you know, yeah, because that's upsetting and disturbing or like you don't like horror movies. Don't watch my content. Exactly. You know? But it's like when it's this, it's like I don't understand people like that. So. I know. It's like if I decided to shave my beard and I lost 6,000 followers, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like I'd almost expect it at this point because people are so freaking particular They're about so shit that doesn't matter. Weird. Yeah. But it is so – I feel so lucky because like directors and people who are behind the camera don't have – you know, as much support as actors who are in front of the camera and like the star and the celebrity. So having a bit of a following on a platform, especially as an indie filmmaker, is just so I don't pe- I don't think people who are following me realize it's so important for my career because now TikTok is at a point where it's influencing the film industry. Like you see mm-hmm. TikTokers like Addison Ray get her own movie because she has so many followers or I've heard horror stories in the industry of like well-known like Oscar nominated actor friends of mine are now getting beat out in roles to TikTokers because of following counts. Like it is affecting the film industry that much. And so I just feel so thankful that I'm somebody who has somewhat of a following as somebody who's behind the camera because we don't we already don't have support. So to be able to have numbers, it's just going to be able to help me in my career of like getting things funded or being able to have conversations. And it's been so amazing to meet people like you and other people who are in it. And I I wouldn't have had these opportunities otherwise. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. I'm so happy you're here. Um, <laughs> this is so cool because I, I likewise, like I, I was on YouTube for a couple of years. I've like tried to do the Instagram thing, Facebook, like all that stuff. TikTok is uniquely different because I'm actually meeting people and I'm actually having meaningful conversations and yes. connections. And I'm like keeping a spreadsheet of people's contact information so I can get their names right because Aww. usernames are weird. They are. You know? <laughs> like I just found out someone who I've been like mutuals with for like six or eight months. I just found out what her first name is by asking uh, another mutual who knows her. Amazing. <laughs> like, I just I feel bad just saying like, you know, XYZ crazy name person. I'm yeah. not going to say it because I don't want that person to know. So you grew up around like all of these effects and the this like this fake stuff that looks very real have you ever had any real paranormal experiences or anything that stands out as like you know a real life spooky thing real life we're talking about like ghosts not like actual blood stuff yeah yeah i mean not just like well i mean i don't know i guess i'm interested if someone's like arm come off or something no (laughs) um no although i have given somebody cpr once which was crazy um But yeah, but it was like the office where it's just like you sing the Bee Gees song, Uh you know, but no, in real life, um, my roommate in college, like 
sliced her hand open pretty bad um yeah with an avocado pit and like instead of a normal i know this isn't what you asked but like (laughs) instead of like a normal human being who was like oh my god here's a bunch of paper towels we have to get to the hospital like as we're going into the er she's like bleeding heavily i'm like cupping her blood in my hands because i'm like i feel bad that you're gonna get the blood on the floor and someone's gonna have to pick it up and the doctor came in they're like what the are you doing why would that's so unsanitary and i was like i don't know i'm just that's i'm used to it like should i not do that should i ah!" (laughs) wipe it off um whoops but paranormal wise i am pretty convinced that my parents house in arrowhead is haunted for sure i just nope (laughs) like i used to like see things as a kid and so i used to see like shadow people Mm. in my parents house and then over the years like it would i don't know if i was just crazy but it would be like fully fledged out people like instead of shadows and i'd just be like so what is that it's like a person there's like a like a little boy and a little girl that looks like she's the grudge girl and i hate her and (laughs) like looks like she's been drowned and i don't like her and another little girl and then an old woman who's not my grandma because <laughs> she was in my grandma. Not my, my grandma. grandma. <laughs> not my, that's not my fucking grandma. She's not your grandma. Because oh my, um, my grandma passed away when I was younger. And so we have some of her furniture in our guest room in my parents' Got house. It, yeah. But that is not my grandma. Um, so you know, a whole ghost family living up there. Apparently so. But like, and for the majority, it's been fun, like, was fine. But that girl that looks like the grudge girl is a total asshole. And I had night terrors of her in my dreams for like, so long there was like one time a period where it was it was like literally this is why i'm like i want to make horror movies because this is the first it was like where you're screaming in a dream and then you wake up but then you're still in the dream and screaming and like it takes you a while to actually wake up and get out of reality there was that but it was like she was just getting closer to closer to me and then i put my head under my covers as she was coming towards me and then she was in the bed and it was like totally out of a horror movie. I woke up screaming and I thought I had peed my pants. Like I literally thought I had just like peed so hard in my bed. <laughs> but I didn't pee at all. I had sweat my entire body weight, like drenched. Oh my my hair was soaked. I didn't know. I And I've played sports my entire life. I didn't know I could sweat that much. I've never sweat that much in my entire life. I was that scared. <sighs> so I was like, uh, and so we like, did the incense in the house. Are they still there when you go back to visit? Not as much. After that instance where we were like looking at getting like crystals and stuff like that or like horseshoe or charms that like work to like dispel negative juju. Um, it, I haven't really had as many. When you say we, that's your parents like yes. being like, I hear you. I'm here for you. Yeah, actually, my it's crazy. My dad was very much like who was like who the fuck is in our house like he was just very supportive of like what is this um instead of being like our daughter's fucking crazy oh my god um i love that supportive of it that's so cool because like what else do you say like you're crazy girl get in the asylum like (laughs) (laughs) wait so so what happens after we die I don't know. I don't know that. I can't talk to them. You know, I've I uh, became friends with um Kelsey Davies. I don't know if you follow her on in, on TikTok. I'm gonna now. She is like a psychic medium person, and she sees that stuff on the regular. Like you'll be in a conversation with her, and then she'll just be like, "I don't know why this old guy's still here," and uh, it's just like great. And it's not. She's not putting anything on. It's just like this reality that she lives, which is so cool. So 
I don't know what your question was because I got so distracted about Kelsey because I think <laughs> she's so I said cool. what happens after we oh, die. Oh, she might have better answers because she actually like talks sure. to things. Do you have I'm a theory? Like, mm-hmm. Do you have? Do you think about it at all? I mean, you're around mm-hmm. like all these fake dead bodies. Do you, you can't help but think <laughs> about, about it, death? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> death? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, no, I mean, I feel like anything is like energy. Like you know, plants are energy and have a thing. So I think. Once your meat suit dies, you know, that energy, it's kind of like the law of physics of like that has to go somewhere, whether it's like just being around. I don't know. It's weird to say, but like adventure time. I don't know who wrote that shit, but like whoever (laughs) did is fucking fantastic. Uh, They do a great job of like explaining it because there's this episode where Jake is going to die and he's like, I'm all around you, man, and here and there and your nose holes. Like, I just I kind of feel like that's kind of the general vibe, but. Because your energy is out there, you can still connect with people, maybe as a ghost or like a little Tinkerbell light. I don't know. Got it. So when our when our when our loved ones die, they're in our nose holes. Yeah, it's yeah. a great way to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this last section is kind of rapid fire. Okay. Um, oh, no. And then we'll wrap things up. Okay. So what makes you keep going and keep creating? Oh God. <laughs> Rapid fire with some lovely questions. Yeah, just some like easy questions here. Um, I think all artists, you just have like that drive in you to create because if you did any other thing, you'd kind of die inside. Like you have to be creative and whether it's through an outlet like social media or actual short films, you have to be creating. So I think that's just innately in you. Whether you take a break from it for a while or not because you're burnt out. But I think at the end of the day with all artists, it's still going to innately be in you to be driven to make something or else you'll go crazy. It's so true. I My wife is like, why can't you ever just like sit on the couch? Because like during the pandemic, I couldn't take portraits anymore. I wasn't documenting things. Yeah. And so I started f- buying toys and photographing them. And then when I got bored of that, I started making macrames and I made like a six foot, four foot wide macrame and was like i've done that now and now i'm making little tiny ghosts i um, love that out of fabric all right so i said rapid fire here we go (laughs) (laughs) okay what do you wish the average viewer knew about you like your average audience member on tiktok oh goodness god i i honestly sometimes like forget that people watch my stuff (laughs) I'm like, what? Um, that I'm doing the best I can in navigating what my niche is. I'm not used to social media and putting myself out there in that capacity. I think when you're in the film industry, it used to be a little bit taboo to have a YouTube channel or be on Vine or do the social media thing because it's not art. It's not film. And so I think we're in a place where the two are merging, mm-hmm. where you can be somebody who's on social media and have that content creation while also be a filmmaker, legitimate filmmaker. So I'm trying to still figure out my niche and maybe people feel like I've already figured it out, but I still feel like I don't have my footing. So I'm still trying to get to that place where I'm creating regularly and have my schedule mapped out. It's hard when you're trying to sell a movie when you don't know how to sell a movie and doing all these other things while trying to maintain active on social media. So I'm doing I'm doing my best. Are there days you want to quit? Yes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like in like film or social media or everything. Yeah. 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 I'm, I think you'd be crazy not to have those days uh, of just sometimes it gets way too overwhelming. And if you're somebody who has, you know, a learning disability or mental illness, it can be really hard on certain days to just be like, I don't want to make this thing. I'm, I'm in this weird Personally, for me, I was like crying yesterday and I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to break. But then again, that artist 
drive comes in and you're like, I think I could only take a break for like a week. Yeah. So when people say like, I'm taking a break from my mental health, I'm like, I see that and I understand that now. Yeah. It's hard. So what do you do for your mental health when you get in that like valley? That's a great question. Still figuring it out. Um, I was somebody who played sports my entire life. I was actually also with all my other crap, um, trying to go to college on a soccer scholarship. I was oh, like wow. very into soccer, went to states, nationals, all that. My entire life was soccer until it became film. So that kind of was therapy for me and having a physical thing to do. And then since I had knee surgery, like it's been a bit of a thing trying to figure out what I can do that's physical, that is good for my mental health. While it's, it's hard when you're a creative because you're like, I'll do this for my mental health, but it's still within creating things. So like if I went and did photography for fun, I still feel this pressure to like have it be perfect mm -hmm. because I'm an artist and it's annoying. So I'm still figuring it out. But, you know, therapy for one. Yeah. It's good for your mental health. Yeah. I did therapy for the first time last year and I was like, how have I not been doing this my entire life? <laughs> I know. It's wonderful. Everybody, even if you don't think you should ha be in therapy, you should go to therapy. If we you can grew up, it. I grew up with so much stigma around it because of how it was talked about in television shows yes. and, and movies and stuff. And it's like, it's so not that. No, it's, it's so it's helpful. It's having a best friend to talk to who's not going to judge you in any way. And you also don't have to ever follow up with them. No. Like there's no, there's no attachment other than the meeting hour and then you're gone and you're off with your tools. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's great. And they can give you tools to have like books or whatever that you wouldn't have found had you just Googled like books for mental illness. Like, you know, you're not going to get that <laughs> right away, uh, specifically of like what you're going through. So that's I therapy. And hopefully I'll find something active to do. What's after the documentary once it's out in the world you've mm -hmm. you've done you know it's on it's on a streaming platform or you know for purchase or whatever and you've done the tours and you're like okay this thing's now cruising in that direction i know the work never stops what's next more therapy um no i'm just kidding um but <laughs> I mean, not kidding but yes. yes um i'm currently writing my first feature horror script so i'm like 35 pages in but it's also one of those things where it's i like to shoot myself in the foot before i get started and like if you're an indie horror filmmaker for your first feature you should probably be doing something that's set in one location low budget and i'm like creature feature period piece let's go whoa <laughs> i know i have no idea how it's gonna happen but um we'll find a way if, if i've yeah. learned anything from this conversation <laughs> you'll find a you'll I'll find kill a myself way. doing it um but that's fine uh yeah and then i'm actually working with somebody else they're writing a script but i'm gonna come on to direct it but we're also kind of co-writing together which is nice and it's somebody i met through tiktok which is so wow. wonderful i know so um i'm very excited about that because it's a thriller horror and so hopefully that works out so just trying to direct but in the long format is after yeah this all right final question if you had no limitations money is not a thing snap your fingers you're doing the one thing you want to do what is it oh god like in filmmaking or just like life the one thing you want to do i would want to make like a full-on pan's labyrinth type movie with all those practical heavy effects that's that's that would be cool if money wasn't a thing and I could just be doing it. I wouldn't want to write it. I would just want to direct. I don't know if somebody yeah. cool could come on and write it because I'm not like an entire writer, but that'd be the coolest thing. And to hire my dad to do all the SFX. So I'm going to have you back on when you're 50 and we're going to talk about <laughs> oh, yeah. that film 
<laughs> I'd be like, okay. Like, watch, I just go do it. Yeah, yeah I'll give you a couple of years to yeah, accomplish Please give dream, me some time yeah, because yeah. this is crazy. No, that's honestly my ultimate goal is to just make something so fun um, and like practical effect heavy that has a good story. Obviously, it's not just about that, but also be able to work with my dad on it would be like a dream come true. Amazing. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Here's my little blurb for the end. For all you listening, please go show some love for Kira. You can find their content on TikTok under the username Kira Mira. And uh, there's an underscore at the beginning and the end of that. But I'll put it in the show notes. Information about the documentary linked in the show notes along with any other links. There's lots of links. So uh, if you like these conversations and you want to hear more, the most helpful thing you can do is subscribe to Haunting Season right where you're listening right now. If you have time to write a, a review, that helps too. I'm on Apple Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. Links, links, links. If you want to watch my horror reviews and other generally spooky short form content you can follow haunting season on tiktok every follow gets me closer to being able to make bigger and bigger content for you it's all for you um and the last thing if you're interested in hearing my original scary stories with 360 degree soundscapes it's my favorite thing that i do you can find them in season one of the podcast or on youtube under a name you'll never guess in a million years it's haunting season it's all haunting season links 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 in the show notes thanks for being here <laughs> thank you for I having you me fun. i did i did 